Welcome to the PRI Review, brought to you by the Population Research Institute. I'm your host, Christopher Manning. Lots of news to go after today. Alice in Wonderland lives. Do we live in her wonder world? Then, are some issues more important than avoiding the Wuhan virus, like going to mass, maybe? And then we have the contact tracers. Several states are putting them into place and calling them a Wuhan virus aid to the health departments. But actually, these are permanently hired spies in Virginia, we have over a thousand of them who will be able to tell everyone what to do, when to do it, and how to do it once their permanent assignment is in place. So keep an eye on those contact tracers. So let's get underway with the looking glass world. Here's David Solway, who comments that Lewis Carroll wasn't wrong. Why sometimes I'd believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast, said Alice. Well, we live in an age characterized by belief, he says. That is, belief in things that do not exist. Belief in complete figments of unanchored imagination, abstractions that have no contact with or bearing on reality. Call it the age of irrealism, of pervasive virtuality, of estrangement from the objective world. Consider several popular notions, memes as they're sometimes called. They operate as delusions, erroneously confirmed as fact. Take this one. There are more than two sexes, biology notwithstanding. Indeed, there are 57 varieties of gender. Also, in contradiction, gender is a social construct. Islam is a religion of peace. The university campus is a swarm with female victims of rape and sexual assault. We hear that all the time on the college scene. The planet is entering a carboniferous period as temperatures rise to unsustainable levels. There's a big word to mean the opposite of the Big Bang, I guess. There is an organized and historical campaign in the Judeo-Christian West of men against women, known as the patriarchy. There is a vast movement of white supremacists ruthlessly oppressing those of other races and creeds. We're beginning to sound familiar, aren't we? America is bedeviled by institutional racism. There's no such thing as truth. Looting, vandalism, and physical violence are legitimate forms of civil protest. The value of people derives from their membership in a group rather than from their status as unique individuals. Well, there's Marx's Class Struggle 101. We have entered the looking-glass world, he writes. None of these beliefs correspond to reality, as every sensible person knows. They are, to a significant extent, forms of what Angelo Cotavilla calls sub-rational submission, conformity to the political diktats of a left-wing ruling class. But they transcend politics, and so far as they are signs, 
of a spreading cultural malady, the inability to think. Now there you have the let's feel good about ourselves that the kids have been taught for several decades now in the government schools. Years of bad education, political indoctrination, and welfare dependency have much to do with a demonstrable decline in intelligence and basic knowledge. A veritable contagion of cultural illiteracy, to quote E.D. Hirsch, who wrote the book on that subject decades ago. Speaking of Alice, this. Dozens of public health and disease experts have signed an open letter in support of the nationwide anti-racism protests. White supremacy is a lethal public health issue that predates and contributes to COVID-19, they wrote. And demonstrations shouldn't be halted for public health reasons. Well, in fact, several million Americans have broken all the rules in the last fortnight, but not a word from Democrat lockdown governors like blackface Ralph Northam of Virginia. He's even hiring over a thousand spies to keep track of you if you break the rules. So what's the message? Demonstrate all you want to if it's for the approved agenda. But Catholic Mass? No, sure, you can shut those down for months if you want to. I wonder, could we just skip the riots and the murders? Why not just stream the next nationwide demonstrations? Here's New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. He ordered the gates of a Jewish park welded shut to enforce social distancing just a day after he approved a mass protest for Black Lives Matter. Here's where those contact tracers come in, the spies. They will be given the latest technology to track you if, and listen to this, if you've been near someone who might have been near someone who has been exposed to someone who has the Wuhan virus. Well, you've heard about the seven degrees of separation and you know somebody all over the world. You're certainly going to apply that to everybody in Virginia pretty quick. Before long, these contact tracers, long after the virus is gone, are going to be in place to keep track of everybody. Consider, in New York City, contact tracers are not permitted to ask sick patients if they've attended a George Floyd protest. They're not interested in the virus. They're dead set on having total control of folks they don't like, and so far they're getting away with it. Pretty soon, they'll want to track you by your cell phone, and the next step will be the communist Chinese social credit system. How far, how deep does the Wuhan virus hypocrisy go? Catholics, Christians, Jews are locked down while favored factions can demonstrate by the millions and rioters go unpunished. We need an American Solzhenitsyn right now, before it's too late. But wait, Alice in Wonderland isn't finished with us. The Supreme Court has just ruled that an employer cannot discriminate against a man pretending to be a woman, or vice versa. Known as the Harris decision, the ruling means that if a drag queen applies for a position in your company that has a public dimension, you can be sued if you refuse. Affirmative action is sure to follow. Also sure to follow is discrimination. 
discrimination complaints against employees who have crosses on their desk or around their necks. Human Resources Department will rule that such symbols are in themselves discriminatory. Also forbidden will be the employer apology to clients that, look, <laughs> I'm sorry I had to hire him, don't blame me. Sorry, under the new ruling, that will bring an avalanche of workplace discrimination complaints. This constitutes legislation by court fiat. It legislates gender ideology without one vote on the floor of the House or Senate. In his detailed and stinging dissent, Justice Samuel Leto wrote that the majority is acting as legislators, imposing their own preferred reading of the law over that which Congress enacted. He called the decision legislation and goes on to say that a more brazen abuse of our authority to interpret statutes is hard to recall. Justice Clarence Thomas joined in Alito's dissent, and Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote a separate dissent making the same general point. Who decides, he asked, concluding that it is up to Congress and not the Supreme Court to expand the provisions of Title VII. It demonstrates, this entire affair demonstrates the collapse of Congress as the Article I body that has the constitutional responsibility to author legislation. Now, way back in 1964, when the civil rights law was passed, this canard would have lost 435 to zero in the House and 100 to zero in the Senate. Like Planned Parenthood versus Casey or Obergefell, even Roe v. Wade, the court has usurped not only the powers of Congress, but consider the powers reserved to the states and to the people by the Tenth Amendment. That's where these issues belong, as well as the doctrine of express powers, i.e., hey, Congress, hey, Senate, hey, Supreme Court, that is not the federal government's business. It's ours in the states. Of course Congress didn't want to tackle this explosive issue. It would have been as volatile as any nomination hearing in memory, only it would have gone on in both houses. The debate would have lasted for months, and it would have required members to go on record. Now they can just shrug it off when folks back home complain and blame it on the Supreme Court. In fact, in the early 1980s, North Carolina Senator Jesse Helms a pro-life champion, wanted to do just that regarding abortion. His legislation would have required a simple majority in both houses, and President Reagan said he would sign it. But all of a sudden, Senator Orrin Hatch proposed the Human Life Amendment that would have required two-thirds majorities in each house and 38 states in the legislature approving it. Needless to say, that died a peaceful death. The Congress is full of cowards. That's why the bureaucracy, not the Congress, is recognized by the courts as the arbiter of the proper application of legislation. So the Congress can blame the bureaucrats and not itself for their impact. Now that we're dealing with fundamental policy, not regulation, the Congress can blame the court for the consequences, and they will be dire. Now, my dad was an FDR Democrat back in the 1930s. He and his pals had a little ditty that they'd recite to get out from under any blame for something they'd done. Don't blame you. Don't blame me. Tax that guy behind the tree. By the way, 
That's when FDR threatened to pack the court if it didn't go along with his New Deal legislation. It worked. They went along. Now the question is, will the Congress go along with the Supreme Court when it tries to legislate? Because it just has. You're listening to the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back. Here's some bad news. The abortion lobby is telling the federal government to use cell lines from aborted babies in Wuhan virus vaccine research. They're using fear as a cover to push their pro-abortion agenda, as usual. This time, it's the Wuhan virus. Remember how Democrat governors designated abortion mills as essential and Holy Mass was unessential and prohibited? Well, now there's more. The White House says we're making progress in research for a vaccine, and the pro-abortion left can't resist. Wow, let's use this crisis to push abortion. That's right. The death lobby is trying to piggyback onto this crisis with its all-too-familiar agenda. Preventing coronaviruses is hard. Over the years, it's been hard to develop effective vaccines at all. That's why today the pro-aborts want the government to use cells from aborted babies. Planned Parenthood has been accused of selling baby body parts for medical research already. Everybody knows that. After all, aborted babies are a goldmine for Planned Parenthood. These precious organs, down to the cells themselves, can bring a high price on the market. But PRI knows the truth. Babies are killed to get those cells, and we are demanding that the U.S. government stop using them. Not for vaccines, not for treatments, not at all. Abortion has already been pandemic in this country for years. Let's not try to use one pandemic to solve another one. Look, let's face it. American taxpayers shouldn't be forced to pay for research involving those cells at all. Now, here's the bad news. Unfortunately, many prospective Wuhan virus vaccine candidates use cell lines that came from babies who were aborted in the 1960s and 70s. Let's be clear. Using cell lines harvested from aborted babies is the definition of unethical. It shocks the moral conscience. It encourages pharmaceutical companies to continue developing new drugs, vaccines, and therapeutics, with cell lines derived from abortion. Unfortunately, some of that very research is being funded by the U.S. government, including through grants awarded by the National Institutes of Health, the NIH. Now, before it's too late, it's time to say no. No to any research that uses cells taken from aborted babies. PRI is leading the way. We need you to join us. You can really make a difference. But how... Can we get a vaccine then? Fortunately, there are many promising alternatives. Some have been used for decades in the development of vaccines, and they have a proven track record of success. And that's not all. There are newer technologies that may have great potential. Many potential vaccines using ethical alternatives are already showing encouraging results, and some are already slated to begin clinical testing. Now's the time to act. And here's how. 
write the White House right now, today, to make your voice heard. Just go to our website at pop.org. That's P-O-P dot org. O-R-G. You'll see the banner. Sign the petition. Click there and sign up now. It takes less than a minute. And ask President Trump, Mr. President, please tell federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells if they are derived from aborted babies. That's it. It's that easy. Once again, go to pop.org. On top of the homepage, click where it says sign the petition. In the comment box, be sure to mention the virus vaccine specifically. Decisions on that research are being made right now, so don't delay. Go to pop.org and make your voice heard today. Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò, the Vatican's longtime ambassador and nuncio to the United States, has written a powerful letter to President Trump. The eternal struggle between good and evil is playing out right now, he writes. Mr. President, in recent months we have been witnessing the formation of two opposing sides that I would call biblical, the children of light and the children of darkness. The children of light constitute the most conspicuous part of humanity, while the children of darkness represent an absolute minority. And yet, the former are the object of a sort of discrimination which places them in a situation of moral inferiority with respect to their adversaries, who often hold strategic positions in government, in politics, in the economy, and the media. In an apparently inexplicable way, the good are held hostage by the wicked and by those who help them, either from self-interest or fearfulness. These two sides, which have a biblical nature, follow the clear separation between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. On the one hand, There are those who, although they have a thousand defects and weaknesses, are motivated by the desire to do good, to be honest, to raise a family, to engage in work, to give prosperity to their homeland, to help the needy, and, in obedience to the law of God, to merit the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, there are those who serve themselves, who do not hold any moral principles, who want to demolish the family and the nation, exploit workers to make themselves unduly wealthy, foment internal divisions and wars, and accumulate power and money. For them, the fallacious illusion of temporal well-being will one day, if they do not repent, yield to the terrible fate that awaits them far from God and eternal damnation. In society, Mr. President, these two opposing realities coexist as eternal enemies, just as God and Satan are eternal enemies. And it appears that the children of darkness, whom we may easily identify with the deep state, which you wisely oppose and which is fiercely waging war against you in these days, have decided to show their cards, so to speak, 
by now revealing their plans. They seem to be so certain of already having everything under control that they have laid aside that circumspection that until now had at least partially concealed their true intentions. The investigations already underway will reveal the true responsibility of those who manage the COVID emergency not only in the area of health care, but also in politics, the economy, and the media. We will probably find that in this colossal operation of social engineering, there are people who have decided the fate of humanity, arrogating to themselves the right to act against the will of citizens and their representatives in the governments of nations. We will also discover that the riots in these days were provoked by those who, seeing that the virus is inevitably fading and that the social alarm of the pandemic is waning, necessarily have to provoke civil disturbances because they would be followed by repression, which, although legitimate, could be condemned as an unjustified aggression against the population. The same thing is also happening in Europe in perfect synchrony. It is quite clear that the use of street protests is instrumental to the purposes of those who would like to see someone elected in the upcoming presidential elections, who embodies the goals of the deep state, and who expresses those goals faithfully and with conviction. It will not be surprising if, in a few months, we learn once again that hidden behind these acts of vandalism and violence, there are those who hope to profit from the dissolution of the social order so as to build a world without freedom. Solve et coagula, as the Masonic adage teaches. Although it may seem disconcerting, the opposing alignments I have described are also found in religious circles. There are faithful shepherds who care for the flock of Christ, but there are also mercenary infidels who seek to scatter the flock and hand the sheep over to be devoured by ravenous wolves. It is not surprising that these mercenaries are allies of the children of darkness and hate the children of light. Just as there is a deep state, there is also a deep church that betrays its duties and forswears its proper commitments before God. Thus, the invisible enemy, whom good rulers fight against in public affairs, is also fought against by good shepherds in the ecclesiastical sphere. It is a spiritual battle. For the first time, the United States has in you a president who courageously defends the right to life, who is not ashamed to denounce the persecution of Christians throughout the world, who speaks of Jesus Christ and the right of citizens to the freedom of worship. Your participation in the March for Life, and more recently your proclamation of the month of April as National Child Abuse Prevention Month, are actions that confirm which side you wish to fight on. And I dare to believe that both of us are on the same side in this battle, albeit with different weapons. For this reason, I believe that the attack to which you were subjected after your visit to the National Shrine of St. John Paul II is part of the orchestrated media narrative, which seeks not to fight racism and bring social order, but to aggravate dispositions, not to bring justice, but to legitimize violence and crime, not to serve the truth, 
but to favor one political faction. And it is disconcerting that there are bishops who, by their words, prove that they are aligned on the opposing side. They are subservient to the deep state, to globalism, to the aligned thought, to the new world order which they invoke ever more frequently in the name of a universal brotherhood which has nothing Christian about it, but which evokes the Masonic ideals of those who want to dominate the world by driving God out of the courts, out of schools, out of families, and perhaps even out of churches. The American people are mature and have now understood how much the mainstream media does not want to spread the truth, but seeks to silence and distort it, spreading the lie that is useful for the purposes of their masters. However, it is important that the good, who are the majority, wake up from their sluggishness and do not accept being deceived by a minority of dishonest people with unavowable purposes. It is necessary that the good, the children of light, come together and make their voices heard. What more effective way is there to do this, Mr. President, than by prayer, asking the Lord to protect you, the United States, and all humanity from this enormous attack of the enemy? Before the power of prayer, the deceptions of the children of darkness will collapse, their plots will be revealed, their betrayal will be shown, their frightening power will end in nothing, brought to light and exposed for what it is, an infernal deception. Mr. President, my prayer is constantly turned to the beloved American nation where I had the privilege and honor of being sent by Pope Benedict XVI as Apostolic Nuncio. In this dramatic and decisive hour for all humanity, I am praying for you and also for all those who are at your side in government of the United States. I pray that the American people are united with me and you in prayer to Almighty God. United against the invisible enemy of all humanity, I bless you and the First Lady, the beloved American nation, and all men and women of goodwill. Signed, the Most Reverend, His Excellency Carlo Maria Vigano, titular Archbishop of Upiana, and former Apostolic Nuncio to the United States of America. You're listening to the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. We'll be right back. an urgent warning from PRI President Steve Mosier. Abortionists are moving fast to take advantage of the Chinese coronavirus. These con artists are singing the praises of so-called research that uses cells from aborted babies. What's the deal? They're telling us that using those cells offers the one sure path to a vaccine for the coronavirus. They tell us that using aborted baby cells on a mass scale will be the fastest way to produce that vaccine. That's a lie, and it makes their crimes even worse. There are other methods of creating a coronavirus vaccine. They're faster, and they don't involve the use of aborted baby cells, just like lots of other effective vaccines. 
That fact doesn't stop the abortion industry. Every day it's pushing the lie that using aborted babies is the way to produce a coronavirus vaccine. Frankly, it's really sickening. This is just a new excuse for abortionists to desecrate the bodies of aborted babies. They just call it research. Disgusting? Yes, indeed. They're at it again using this tired old lie as an excuse for their abortion crimes. But listen, the threat is real. Without fast action from you, me, and every other pro-lifer, they could get away with this outrage. Many states and cities have forced the closing of churches and schools, bankrupting family-run shops, crippling small businesses, and even forbidding people from going to the dentist. All to protect us from the China coronavirus. But that doesn't stop the abortionists and the liberal media. They claim that abortion is an essential service that cannot be interrupted. Are we going to let them get away with it? Look, it is a blessing that so many church and lay leaders are speaking out against this desecration of aborted babies, and we want you to join them. We need to put pressure right now on the decision makers. They can stop the use of aborted babies for coronavirus so-called research. That's the critical action that we pro-lifers have to take today. Yes, we know. President Trump and Vice President Pence are solidly pro-life, but they are also politicians. Pro-life voters have to support them and constantly remind them, here's what we expect you to do. Tell the president, we pro-life voters are ready for battle over this issue. We demand an end to the desecration of aborted babies now. We've got your back. Let's flood their offices with our petitions to stop research using aborted babies. Our pro-life president is under constant attack from the pro-abortion left again and again and again. He needs to hear from us again and again and again. And here's a perfect opportunity to let him know you appreciate his defense of life. Ask him today to keep up that fight. Mr. President, tell those federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells from aborted babies. Do it today. Write the White House now to make your voice heard. Just go to our website at pop.org. That's P-O-P dot O-R-G. Sign our petition. It takes less than a minute. And ask the president, Mr. President, please tell federal agencies to stop funding research projects that use cells if they're derived from aborted babies. It's that easy. Go to pop.org. On the top of the home page where it says sign the petition, in the comment box be sure to mention the virus vaccine specifically. Decisions on that specific research are being made right now, so don't delay. Go to pop.org and make your voice heard today. You'll be glad you did. Lou Holtz, who coached the Notre Dame football team in 1988, which was the last time they won the national championship, now writes that President Trump is a champion of the Catholic faith. When I arrived on the campus of Notre Dame in 1986 to coach the football team, he writes, I had a sign placed in a stairwell leading onto the field that read, Play like a champion today. Thirty-four years later, I can't help but think of how President Trump has been a champion for the Catholic community.
As a lifelong Catholic, I'm compelled to speak out. Archbishop Wilton Gregory of Washington, D.C. recently criticized President Donald Trump for visiting the St. John Paul II National Shrine. The Archbishop claimed that the shrine should have, and I quote, never been used as a place for a political statement, end quote. Well, President Trump visited the shrine to honor the legacy of Pope John Paul II, a pope who understood the importance of advancing religious freedoms across the globe. The president also understands how religious freedom curtails terrorism and domestic violence and strengthens democracy, economic development, and opportunities for women. That's why he recently signed the executive order advancing international freedom. It is unfortunate that the Archbishop of Washington is choosing to engage in political punditry and criticism of the president rather than helping to unite all of God's children. Instead of acknowledging the symbolism behind President Trump's visit to historic St. John's Church, which had just been ransacked by violent looters, the Archbishop chose to further divide the country. The fact is, there has been no president in my lifetime who has done more to protect religious liberty for all than President Trump. The president understands the importance of being a strong voice for the unborn because we are their only voice. He has shown his unwavering commitment to life. He has followed through on his promise to appoint conservative, constitutionalist judges, something that will have a positive impact on issues related to the church for decades to come. President Trump's commitment to the religious community reaches far beyond our borders. He moved our embassy to Jerusalem, the birthplace of Catholicism, by the Israelites, even though the five previous presidents promised to do so yet failed. The president's time in office has been promises made, promises kept. This is unusual for a politician, and the archbishop is flat-out wrong to say he does not care about all the people. President Trump has uplifted every American through his America First agenda. There are three principles that have guided my life and the choices I make. Whether you're in a good or bad situation, the results are because of the choices you make. The three principles also define whom I support politically. One, trust. President Trump says what he means and means what he says. He is doing his all to fulfill the promises he made to the American people. Two, commitment to excellence. President Trump is committed to pursuing greatness no matter the sacrifice. He understands what it takes to keep America great. Three, care for others. President Trump demonstrates strength and a commitment to serving his fellow Americans. It's obvious he has a deep love for America and its people. Now, let's bring this country together by loving and caring for one another. The Catholic education I received, including my years at Notre Dame, were taught to love our Lord God with all our soul and might and to love your neighbor as you would yourself. Perhaps the most brilliant person I have ever met was Father Hesburgh, president of Notre Dame for 35 years. He hired me. He marched with Martin Luther King Jr., was close friends with Mother Teresa, former presidents and popes. 
He explained to me that you must follow your heart, even if it's an unpopular thing to do. President Trump is doing the right thing for American Catholics and the wider religious community. He will continue to be a voice for the unborn. He will continue to stand with the people of faith, and he will ensure Catholics have a seat at the table in his administration. I encourage my fellow Catholics to support a president who, in my mind, has done more to advance the cause of religious freedom and liberty than any other president. Signed, Lou Holtz, historic football coach at the University of Notre Dame and member of the College Football Hall of Fame. You've been listening to the PRI Review from the Population Research Institute at pop.org. Be sure to take a look at our website, sign our petition, and check out the wonderful research done by our worldwide staff. Thanks for listening. <music>